It's the Score North Twin Show. Yeah, it's it's still. I know. I know you guys are uh, glued to MLBTradeRumors.com these days with how hot this Twins hot stove is burning. It is still hot stove season. Reckless speculation. They did sign. Uh, didn't they? No, they got they got a former first round pick right yeah. off waivers. Yeah, some guy from the Cubs. <laughs> some guy. From, he was like the 29th overall pick just like three years ago. Let's well, they got here. that going for uh, Yeah, yeah, that's very exciting. Oh, yeah, Ryan Jensen. Ryan Jensen. Not to be confused with the redheaded offensive lineman from the Buccaneers, right? Don't they have a Ryan Jensen? Oh, yeah, didn't, the twins have a, didn't the Twins have a guy named Marcus Jensen at one time? Yeah, we used him on the grid a couple weeks ago. He was yeah, a catcher. that's what I thought. Okay. Very nice. He was that's a catcher. Fine. So, yeah, Ryan, uh, Ryan Jensen was the former 27th overall pick out of the uh, University of Fresno oh, boy. in 2019. And he, so to this point, he has yet to make his major league debut. Another guy, by the way, big strikeout numbers, but also crazy big walk numbers too. Last season between the Cubs and Seattle Mariners organizations, double A and triple A, he walked 54 batters in 64 innings of relief, which helped lead to a 5.32 earned run average. That'll do it. uh, And a whip of near two. So just kind of a project. They're they're buying low on uh, a former first round pick, so so that brings our tally to outgoing on the season, off season. Sonny Gray gone, Kenta Maeda, Emilio Pagan, Andrew Stevenson, Tyler Malley, Michael A. Taylor is still out there in free agency. Donnie Barrels, Joey Gallo, incoming, at least on their forty man. Ryan Jensen, yep. who's never played in the major leagues yet, a yep. project, and then Josh Stamont, who was an okay reliever in the majors a couple years ago, but major walk issue. Bring my guy back. Michael A. That's Michael A. Is that a national? With, with the Nats. Yeah. Bring him back. I agree at this point. Look at this play he's making right here. Don't you want to see these plays? It does look, look at how like he's a great making, play. Yeah. making that catch. He's a gazelle. <laughs> he really is. So uh, we will on this back. episode of the Scorn Earth Twin Show. We were So today is our first unveiling of the first part of our top 25 twins of all time. I say our. I put together this list. You guys can poke at it and tweak it. But I will give you 25 through 21 as we count down the 25 greatest twins players of all time. We have a random twin of the week. But uh, Declan was eavesdropping in on Derek Falvey's hot stove radio show with Chris Atterbury. So what uh, what did you learn? What are some things we can glean from what the Twins are up to just a month before spring training? Yeah, it was honestly nice just to hear him kind of address some things that we do want to know about, at least internally. You know, he he mentioned that this is historically the time under the regime that, you know, they have made their moves, right? They've made they've waited till mid to late January to do things in the past and trade chatter has picked up. A um, couple of things stood out to me. I think we should probably start with the Louis Varlin conversation here because I think this one was a little surprising to me Chris asked him about Paddock and we'll get into that too but he also tr- and transitioned to Louis Varland who said what what's the plan with him right started at, he was a starting pitcher came up with the twins as a starter made his debut at Yankee Stadium uh, then got moved to a bullpen role up some velocity there was some intrigue there right we saw towards the end of the year that he was pumping above 95 miles an hour and a flamethrower yeah. so what's the plan for him right is he gonna be a swing man what is what is the issue here and they've told him that we want him to start, and they're preparing Louis Varlin to be a starter, which I find very interesting. Um, 
So the Twins have lost. I did the math on this, and I double-checked my math, too. I know I'm not the math guy. I shouldn't be doing a lot of math on Supervised, but I did do some math here, so bear with me. Okay. Um, the Twins lost 357 innings between Sonny Gray, Kenta Maeda, Emilio Pagan. So 357 innings gone from your 1,400 innings that you had last year. So 4, uh, 1,451 is what they had last year innings pitched. So yeah. 24%. Of the Twins' innings pitched is gone. And those are all good innings, too. Yeah, very important. Those are like really good innings. Mm -hmm. Pagan had a career season. Sonny Gray was top three Cy Young. Yeah. So they are banking that Louis Varland and Chris Paddock, and we'll get into that in just a bit, can at least help replace the Sonny Gray-Kenta Maeda portion, which is about 288 innings of just starting rotation work, which Chris Paddock is coming off Tommy John. Louis Varland is a complete unknown who can maybe even is he even going to be able to last in the rotation through the first few months of the season before moving to a bullpen role. I think that's a really interesting bet to make, especially for a team who hung its hat on its pitching last season. Yeah, it is. I mean, when you lay the math out like that, it's uh, and it's not there's been some years where you could find some pitchers and cobble them together and say, you know, they got to find 350 innings for these guys. You're like, well, that's not hard. Mike Pelfrey was one of them. Right. And Kevin Correa was another. Like, you're talking about three guys who had pretty damn good seasons, if not really, really good career seasons. Um, on Varland, I, I definitely, I'm curious to see where it goes because just because he's starting the season spring training as a starter doesn't mean that he won't at the end of the day be one of their ace relievers. You can't really do it the other way around. You can't start a guy yep. second week in February as a reliever and then be like, oh, no, actually, we need you as a starter, and he hasn't ramped up or anything. So it makes sense for the spring training portion. He should be a starter just in case they need him for that. Stretch the arm out and get ready. Uh, I st- I don't know. I still think Louis Varland at the end of the day could be a great ace in the hole. I mean, look at his, It's a small sample size, but last season as a reliever, he faced 42 batters, 17 strikeouts of those 42 batters, and those hitters batted 150 with a 171 on-base percentage and a 300 slugging. Again, small sample size, but when you compare the OPS against Louis Varland as a reliever versus a starter, there is a 400-point difference between the two of them. So some guys are just better suited to throw 98 miles an hour with one secondary pitch and do it in small doses. And I believe that's what Louis Varland is here for, but it still makes sense to ramp him up as a starter in spring training. So I don't, I don't disagree with that. Well, and unless something changes in a big way between now and spring training, and it might, but they've got no choice. Like when it comes to the rotation, they've lost pieces and they're not replacing them now. And the one thing that I think we need to keep in mind is a trade is still, I think a trade is still a very good possibility. I think that they'll make a, a couple of trades, but as far as additions go, you know, this TV situation drags on and it's not done yet. And it's still in, in bankruptcy court, I believe. And now um, a hearing got pushed back. And as the athletic wrote about a few days ago, this directly involves three teams. Uh, it involves the Guardians, the Rangers, who, by the way, have done almost nothing. Now, yeah. they're still expected to be active, but they need to get this. They basically have I, the reports are the Rangers need to get their regional sports network situation cleared up before they make a move, which might include retaining Montgomery and sign Hader, but they can't do it yet. Yeah. And then the Twins, whose contract is up, but I, it looks like it's tracking more and more to the Twins being back on Bally's for another year hmm. at a cut rate. So, like, as of right now, 
they're going to claim that they're hamstrung, and they sort of are by that. Wow. And so that's what makes this far from a slam dunk that, like, oh, there's still a big, you know, there, there's still a, a Josh Donaldson type of move, expenditure, not Josh but, Donaldson. But, but you know what? Like, you've brought this up before. I, I will say I don't expect – in baseball, there's no salary cap. You're only protected by basically your profit break-even point. Correct. So I understand that most owners, you're going to run these teams like a business. You're not looking to take an annual loss on your business. So right. I, I don't have an unrealistic expectation that the Pollard family should take an annual loss on their business to spend with the Yankees. You know, To me, that's that's an unrealistic expectation. But you've made the point over the last three months, could you just take and just – even a temporary yeah. loss, annual loss, whatever it may be, while you're trying to figure out your TV situation to not lose the momentum that you built I, up for the first time in 20 years, right? Yes, I agree completely. And I'm I'm not defending the twins. I'm just saying I think this is what what they would say if you if you said Varland makes more sense from the bullpen. I yeah. think they would say, We agree with you and we would like to do that. But we currently like what what you just said and what I've said, I think should be the the goal. The reality is it doesn't seem like it. Yeah. So uh, on on uh, Paddock real quick here. Mm-hmm. What's interesting there is he's you know obviously showed some life in that arm at the end of the season, and he's you know there, his best season in the majors was when he was twenty three years old in two thousand nineteen. So you know four or five years ago. Uh, and by the way, in the minors, he was dominant before then, too. He's been like a top prospect or whatever. But he, he was really good in 2019, had 10 strikeouts per nine, uh, a 3.33 earned run average, a whip below one. Yeah. So he was just uh, – and then the, the arm issues kind of trickled in in 2020-21. So he's only pitched at any level of professional baseball, major leagues or like rehab assignments. He's only pitched – 36 innings since 2021. And Declan just threw that number out. Hey, they're, they're looking to replace right. 350 plus innings over. It doesn't have to be all one guy, but how many innings? And even before that, 2021, he threw 108 innings. The year before that, it was pandemics. It was 59 innings. In that 2019 season, 140. So he's only thrown over 100 innings once in a professional baseball season. Is he going to give you 160, 170 innings this year? I mean, that's it's a question, right? Yeah, and I they're banking on that. <clears throat> they're definitely banking more on Paddock than they are with Farland. And you know, Falvey yeah. uh, mentioned that that was one of the things they were most excited about coming out of the off season uh, or out of this last season was his you know uh, ability to come back and and what he showed in that little sample size coming out of the bullpen. But they're banking on him being a mid tier rotation guy. But yeah. to Phil's point, yeah, I mean, he hasn't thrown many innings, and it's been five years. I mean, he's 28 years old now. That great season he had in 2019, he was 23 years old. Now he's 28. Uh, it's just, and no mention of an innings limit either, and not that he has to have one right now, but, like, do you expect Chris Paddock, even at fully healthy, is he going to be able to shove 200 innings for you? I don't think so. It's it's a very yeah. interesting bet. Odds are no way. Not 200. I would think, no. like, 150 seems like a a yeah. win, right? If he could get yeah. to 150 and they can and, manage it. And this is where, so we, we uh, joked about this when the acquisition was made, but this is where the team control has to pay off, right? And Because if you guys recall, the, the paddock thing was all, yeah, but look at all the control you've got. Look at all the control you've got. Okay, well, now we're, we're at the key juncture where that control, it can't just be, well, we still owned them and it didn't work out. It yeah. needs to be, 
we still owned him and it paid off. You know, real quick on the 200 inning front, because I know we all kind of use that as a for our whole lives. We've used that as a benchmark for a while. It was like closer to 300 innings way back when Judd was born, way back when the world was in black Tom and white. Seaver. Tom Seaver, Tommy Terrific, Nolan Ryan, four man rotations shove. and then yeah. shove. Yeah. Uh, so and then in my era, in Declan's era, 200 was kind of, you know, your number one, number two starters would give you like Scott Baker would give you 200 innings yeah. or Nick Blackburn would give you sure. 200 just random dudes. Last year, can you guys guess how many pitchers, how many starters in the whole league through 200 innings? I bet it's five. It's I, five. I guess. Wow, nice oh, job. Wow. Nice. Okay. Good job. It is oh. exactly five. Five horses? Yeah. Dude. I, you're right. I need to, we, we, not me, we need to lower our, it's now like, what, 170? Like, is that our new, like, higher echelon or, like, new barometer? It's like So only 38 pitchers through 170 innings. And, and some of this is, you know, fear of injury. Some of it is just like third time through the order fear, yep. and they'd rather not yeah. deal with that. Relievers are better. So, yeah, give us something else you learned yeah. from eavesdropping on Falvey. A couple other things stood out. Uh, on Buxton, they said he's already begun his own BP work, and he has begun what's called baseball activities, which I love that buzzword among uh, baseball executives and coaches when they talk about their prospects or people rehabbing injuries. He has begun baseball activities. They still plan to play him in center field. And uh, the quote I re- uh, wrote out was very optimistic about where he stands today. Of course, because it's freezing cold outside and yeah. no one's seen him. I will I will defend uh, Buxton for a second and even even Derek Falvey, because we also need to lower our expectation as we have over the years uh, of what is valuable and what isn't. I think at this point. 80 games of Byron Buxton is better than no games of Byron Buxton if he can play in the outfield. So I think what they've done going back, they they did the DH thing, hoping that we could just get his bat in the lineup for a whole season. But his value, even at age 30, I think his value is still so much tied up in playing outfield and uh, the defense that he brings, the run prevention. So if you're telling me right now, hey, you can go down the DH path again and stop start and that whole thing. And he, he had the worst offensive year he's had in like five years doing that too. Or you can run him out in the outfield. He's only going to get you 75 or 80 games, and you don't know where those are going to come from. Hopefully they come in October, too. I would actually sign up. I want I want him in the outfield is my official stance here. I want a season where, I, and unfortunately, I mean, if the man ever again plays 100 games or more, it's going to be a miracle. I want a season where I can play him, let's say, 85 games, and I don't lose them for an extended period, though. I choose those games. I can choose those games. Like, that's all I want now. But it's asking a lot. I, You know, it's sad, man, because he's such – he when he was healthy or when he was playing, he was such a fun player to watch. But the reality is my expectations have been so dumbed down now with him. Like, I don't really – like, I, I don't even, like, laugh about what Dex said – and say, oh, yeah, I I think it's sad. Because, I mean, yeah, everyone wants him to play. But, you know, name me the last year where, where, and, I mean, we have started off with plans for how many years now? Like, there have been very, you know, he's going to DH, or he's going to play this amount of games in center, or if we can get this. When's the last time that that even came close to coming to fruition? Yeah, that's, that's why I think at this point, put him back in the outfield mm-hmm. and let her rip. And re- and and rest him. Yeah, day game. He should never play a day game after a night game, or if he is, he should sit the night game before. 
play yep. four days a week. He should take two games off every week. Hmm. Play four play four out of every six games. If he did that, if he played four games a week for what's the baseball oh, season? I mean, it'd be over a hundred games, right? Twenty six week season, Dude. play four games a week. That's hundred four games. Yeah, You'd be ecstatic. Cool. Atterbury brought up too. I mean, the fact of him playing DH limits, also like lineup flexibility, defensive alignment, um, yep. and you know, he and Falvey brought up Austin Martin, Willie Castro's ability to play center field. So like internally, those, those are their that's their options: it's Willie Castro or Austin Martin that will will play center if Bucks in can't unless they resign Michael Lay or find another free agent. And uh, I really hate that idea. I hate that idea. I hate it. But here's the other thing: is they need to think ab- about this because I agree he needs to play in the field. How about Byron Buxton playing some corner outfield? Yeah, that's um, that could be a great because he and again it might just be the act of standing anywhere, yeah. but he but he You're would right. have to cover less ground. So I don't but know if that reduces mm-hmm. wear and tear. But yeah, I mean Kirby Puckett moved. He was older than thirty at the time, but Kirby Puckett moved off center field. Tory Hunter Tory. was like probably thirty four when he did it. So. Uh, okay, well, uh, what else, Dex? Yeah, a couple other uh, last things here. Uh, I doubt Donovan Solano's coming back to this team. Um, they asked about barrel, his yeah. uh, his addition, or, or mm-hmm. the idea of him coming back. And, you know, he was signed late in the spring training last year. And look, Donnie was great. Like, Donnie exceeded expectations. He, he was a really good utility pinch hitter. A guy mm-hmm. could step in and get a lot of clutch hits for you. He was great. But the way he talked about, well, we have some other internal options on our roster. You know, Jose Miranda... Trevor Larnick, Willie Castro, Austin, like he said, unless something changes, you know, we can always circle back, but he pretty much gave like, yeah, that he's not coming back to our, to our team. Yeah. And he's like 35, you know, he's a, and they're clearly looking to not spend seven figures if they can spend six figures, (laughs) which is kind of what this is. Donnie barrels will cost you seven figures and Austin Martin will cost you six figures. So, uh, last thing too, uh, Royce Lewis, they asked about him too. Um, and, I thought it was, I found it interesting. He Falvey brought up the fact because obviously Royce Lewis came up as a shortstop. They have Carlos Correa at short. Um, he mentioned the idea of the flexibility that that actually gives them when Correa needs an off day. They can play Royce Lewis at shortstop. Of course, they plan to play him every day at third base. That'll be his primary position. No one's shocked by that. But it, we also, I think, do forget about the fact that this guy came up at short and he can play shortstop too. I would like him to be comfortable at third for sure. Uh, but I, I did find that a little interesting because I think we forget that Royce Lewis obviously came up as a shortstop too. Yeah. So there it is. A uh, little Derek Falvey update here as we, as we're just a month away from, from spring training boys. I'd love to unveil the first five players in my top 25 twins of all time list. If all I right, may. let's do it. Okay. Yeah. So I think a little theme music here to set the mood. I will tell you, I did this list. I put it together. It was, it's hard all over the place. Cause there's like, I would say three or four options for the number one player in tw- probably three options that you could write about for the number one player. But then when you get down to like 20 through 25, there's some guys from back in the sixties that you're kind of fighting with guys in the early two thousands. So I did send this list to two former twins, general managers. <laughs> and I said, am I missing anything? Are there any glare? Am I going to look like an idiot? If I bring this list, Exactly as constructed. Uh, one of the former general managers, you can guess who the two probably are from when I covered the twins. Yep. One of them said, boy, this is, uh, I don't think I'd change anything. It's definitely going to generate some good debate, uh, but he enjoyed going through it. The other one said, I would put this guy, this guy, this guy that's off your list. I would put this guy on the list. Okay. Okay. And that guy is Eddie Gordado. Oh, heavy I left Eddie Gordado off the list. 
and uh, and I, I I guess I didn't get enough of a convincing. I, I went back, did some research. You know, he was a long time twin. He got beat up pretty good as a as a starter and kind of a middle reliever in the mid nineties. Mm-hmm. But then he became one of the best closers in baseball for like a two year period. Right. And he was a good setup guy even before that. Yep. So he, I don't know, he probably does deserve a spot on this list, but I couldn't figure out who to bump off. So honorable mention, Eddie Gordado, also uh, Mudcat Grant and Michael Kadire get honorable mentions for sure. And maybe even, maybe in Corey Kosky. I don't think I put Corey Kosky on here. Just double checking. So, all right, with that, number 25, mm-hmm. Brad Radke. Mm-hmm. Possibly the most underrated player in Twins history. Because we think of Radke oftentimes as just like the guy that gave up first inning home runs, right, for all those years. Right. He, he Like the other the K fan would make fun of him. Yeah, didn't Common, common Man had a bit, right? Uh, he, he was an eighth round. Yeah, what time is he going to give up yeah. the, the first home run? <laughs> Um, he was an eighth round pick in 1991, a 12-year major league career, all of it with the Twins, and he actually has the second highest wins above replacement mark among all Twins in history, all wow. Twins pitcher, Twins pitchers in history. Interesting. Uh, 1997, he won 20 games. He finished third in the Cy Young voting, and he also won the Twins. Well, he won, and the Twins won two of the games he started in the 2002 ALDS. They won the three games, and he mm-hmm. was responsible for two really good pitching performances. Uh, and by the way, all of the damage he did as a pitcher was in the middle of the steroid era, like yeah. mid late nineties, early two thousands. Mm-hmm. And so Brad Radke is 25 on my list. I think that's incredibly fair. I, I want to know who's ahead of him because I mean, in oh. terms of, in terms of the war, I mean, just in terms of war wins above replacement, which obviously Phil Mackey knows a lot about like yeah. second most pitcher, uh, second most wins above replacement for any pitcher. That's, that's a, that's a good merit, man. Yeah, and I should I should preface this by saying too that for my criteria, peak greatness is always gonna yeah. gonna win out over longevity. So like longevity strongly considered, but part of the reason why Brad Rackey has racked up more wins above replacement is because he pitched for the twins for twelve seasons sure. as opposed mm-hmm. to some of the other guys that maybe mm-hmm. were were better at their best but were only there for a short amount of time. Sure. Uh number number twenty four, one of the great catchers in twins history, Earl Batty. So Earl Batty was a four-time All-Star in the 1960s, multiple gold gloves, multiple seasons with MVP votes. He caught Jim Cott, Camilo Pasquale, Jim Perry, and he was inducted into the Twins Hall of Fame in 2004. I obviously never saw Earl Batty play. Uh, And even the two Twins general managers I consulted with, like, never saw Earl Batty play, but heard great things about him. Patrick (laughs) did, yeah. Yeah, he was a, um, I, I think they got him from the White Sox. But yes, okay. he, he was he was the first, I don't know if great's the right word, but he was the first, I think, prominent twins catcher. Yeah. Yep. In an era where they were going, you know, they were one of the best teams in the American League. Yeah. And right. Went to World Series with them. Okay, number twenty three, Jim Perry. Yeah. Ten year twins career. He was the nineteen seventy Cy Young Award winner in the American yep. League. Yep. He also finished top 10 in MVP voting twice in his career with the Twins. So a pitcher finishing top 10 MVP voting twice. Now that, that 1970 season where he won the Cy Young, he had the 24 wins and 40 starts, 13 complete games, four shutouts. And he is seventh among all-time Twins pitchers in wins above replacement. Uh, I put him above Brad Rack, kind of similar in that they're both like really good for 10 years, but 
Jim Perry at his best was the best pitcher in the American League as recognized uh, in the Cy Young voting. So Rag, he got third one time in Cy Young voting, 1997. Mm-hmm. Jim Perry above it. I feel like he's a, brother. he's a forgotten guy in like Twins lore. Because everyone like in generations, right, at least like generations know Brad Radke and Johan Santana. But I feel like people forget about how good also Jim Perry really was for the Twins. Yeah, and I feel like like Jim Cott is like if you go back, I mean Blylevin was kind of after this, but Cott, Blylevin, Camilo Pasquale, you kind of think yeah. of some of those names, maybe even Mudcat Grant before mm-hmm. you, at least for me, before you think of Jim Perry. But mm-hmm. that nineteen seventy, I forgot that he had won the nineteen seventy Cy Young Award. So there you have it. Okay, number twenty two, one of the great defensive shortstops in Twins history, Greg Gagne cracks my list. Okay, okay. offensive player. Not so much, but 10-year career with the Twins from 1983 to 1992, and he was one of the best defensive shortstops in the entire league during his prime. You might say, wait a second, he never won a gold glove, which I think is a crime that he never won a gold glove. Means nothing, yes. But it was kind of an offensive, like they would give it, like during his run with the Twins, Alan Trammell and Cal Ripken were snagging gold gloves. Yeah. Because of their bats, in in part, right? Tony Fernandez won a couple. Herbeck didn't win one, and he's one of the great fielding first basements I've ever seen. Yep. So you look at, like, the the metrics are, it's hard to to use some of the metrics, but, like, some of the metrics that they've gone back and looked at defensively, he was a wizard. He was the starting shortstop for two World Series winning teams in 87-91. And I know that fielding percentage and errors aren't the best way to measure overall defense, but he did only commit nine errors in the 1991 season at shortstop which is pretty incredible. He so had a he had a bigger defensive war in his career than an offensive war, which I mean yep. and and playing shortstop, playing a very important position. Like that's that's uh that is very impressive. I I two World Series, I mean yeah, if you're the shortstop too, right, of two World Series winning teams, which obviously Greg was, correct, for 87 and 91. I mean, yep. you got to have him on the list. Yep. And I think they, too I I was going to say they they got him from the Yankees in one of those early salary dump trades uh, after they moved into the Metrodome. He was a Yankees prospect, and I don't know if it was a Smalley or Weiniger trade or what, but that was actually one, one of their most savvy trades because he was absolutely outstanding. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I just wanted to represent – I wanted to represent great defense, and and some of that is represented in some of these players who were, who were both, but he is legitimately one of the great defensive players in franchise history, even that he wasn't the hitter that you know some of these other guys are. So Greg Gagne, number 22. And my last name for this, today's unveiling of the first five, is number 21, Cesar Tovar. Eight-year Twins career starting in 1965, the ultimate jack-of-all-trades player for the 1960s Minnesota Twins. He played at least 75 games at six different positions in his career at, mm-hmm. at a high level. And he received MVP votes in five different seasons. 1976, he led the league in doubles and triples. He had 49 combined doubles and triples. He also stole 186 bases for the Twins in those eight years, including 45 in 1969. So just a dude that you could put anywhere on the field, a, a spark plug sort of gap to gap hitter and a guy that got MVP consideration in five different seasons. Cesar Tovar played all nine positions in a game, right? As a stunt for the twins. Yep. yep. So no, that in fact, I think Cesar was, did Royce get Cesar in the twins hall of fame? Was that yeah. two, two years ago? Right. Yep. Yep. Cause I think crusade I, for like 10 years. <laughs> well, his two big, his two big ones and they're both done now was to get Pasquale in and Cesar Tovar in. 
Yep, and he got them both. Mm-hmm. He got them both. So, uh, so as we count down, 25, Brad Radke, 24, Earl Batty, 23, Jim Perry, 22, Greg Gagne, and 21, Cesar Tovar. There you go. So, all right, Judd, you have a random twin of the week for us here to wrap this episode. Yes, I do. The random twin of the week. It's a close battle here. I have eight wins. Declan has eight wins. Judd has seven wins. So today we'll we'll break the tie between nice. Declan and me. The last handful of random twins. In fact, Declan's on a three-game winning streak with Kent Herbeck, CJ Crone, Delman Young, and then uh, Emilio Pagan, Matthew Lecroy, Drew Butera were the three before that. So Judd's going to throw out a series of clues. Declan and I can shout out answers whenever we think we know. If one of us hits a third strike, that person is out, and the other person wins automatically. No cheating. No Googling. All right. This former twin hails from Selma, California. S-E-L-M-A. Selma, California. He attended high school in Easton, California, and starred in baseball and football. He then struggled in his first two collegiate seasons, but was a star in his junior season in college. Hmm. In fact, this former twin was so good in his junior uh, season that he ended up going back in the draft and was picked 25th. So he was a first round draft pick. Oh, he was. So he had one good year in college and he was the 25th overall Mm -hmm. pick. Mm -hmm. He was the 25th pick in the draft. And then he came out. He didn't go back for his senior year. Can I ask you that? Yes, that's correct. Okay. This former twin had his first big league at bat on July 7, 2006 against the White Sox. Hold on. Yeah. Well, I guess you, okay. You didn't say who drafted him yet. That at bat only happened because of an injury to Mike Redman. Hmm. This former twin played for four other clubs in his career besides the twins. This former twin went eight and thirteen with a four forty seven ERA. In 26 games and 24 starts with the Twins. 26 wait, games, 24 wait. starts? Yep, with the Twins. 8 and 13, 4 4 7 ERA. Okay, so that for, that's his career with the Twins? Yep, exactly. 8 and 13, 4 4 7 ERA. First, first at bat versus White Sox. <laughs> what? This is so weird. He was once named the USA Today Minor League Player of the Year. That's insane. Pretty good. Matt Garza. Yes. Jesus, Declan, you're so good. You're on. This is a heater, man. This is a heater for Peter. Heater. Wow, dude. Wow. 
Okay, how did you pull? That? <laughs> the the my, I had I was not sniffing around it at all. You said minor league player of the year 2006, and I yep. remember him. I mean, I remember he was a highly touted prospect, and then I just I I mean I blurted that out. I'll be honest, that was a guess, but a little bit of education. The, wow. I believe, according to his wiki page, he was the first twin to twins pitcher to have an at bat since like Alan Anderson in the late '80s. Yeah, it's fascinating. I don't remember him taking that at bat, but that was the, that was they were like a month into their raging hot stretch that carried them throughout 2006 he, during that stretch. I think he also yep. got rocked in his first big league start with the Twins, he like did. absolutely <laughs> rocked. Yep, yeah. he did. Good pitcher. He did. So, wow, congratulations. Declan takes ah. the lead. Nine correct random twins. I'm at eight. Judd's at seven. It'll be my turn to try and stump you guys next week. Thank you guys for uh, listening to the Scorner Twin Show off-season editions here. We will continue to unveil the top 25 twins next week. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you over there. Give us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple and Spotify while you're at it.